Now, no one likes it when bad news comes. And for us Christians, it's a bit tricky for us to know what to say to people in the midst of their fear and their distress. How can we be of use to them? How can God's word be helpful to them and how can it be helpful to us if the disaster overtakes us? If you remember back in September 2011, the the great disaster that happened in New York and, and the world responded in a very, very profound way. But it was said then that the Christians responded late, that we waited until the disaster came before we were able to speak into it. And I think that's true. Uh, usually, there is, when a disaster strikes us, there's too much grief and emotion that are involved for someone to really think clearly when the disaster is there before them. And I think that's why books like Habakkuk and Job and the Psalms are worth studying in the normal course of things, not just when there are difficult things in our faces. They give us a shape of things, uh, the, the overall picture of things, so that when disaster strikes, we have a framework of understanding that will see us through. You see what I'm saying? We, we need to be prepared in advance before these challenges befall us, as they will, us frail humans. There is no point in ignoring what God says about such things and then wailing at him that he didn't tell us uh, what to expect when the challenges come. The answers are there, but sadly, it's often the case that we don't know our Bibles well enough to grasp what's, uh, what, what promises are there for us. Now, Habakkuk, if you remember, had looked around at his world, at the wickedness of Judah and also the wider society, and he cried out to God, How long, O God? You don't listen, you don't save, and you make me look at injustice day after day. Have you lost control here, God? God's answer was, I am bringing judgment against the wicked, and that includes your own people. Habakkuk. Babylon is coming and they will bring destruction with them. What, said Habakkuk? You would use even more wicked people than us to punish us? Yes, said God. I will. To turn away from me and my word is to invite destruction and by that same word I will also hold all the evildoers to account. Babylon too will fall for her self-worship and idolatry. You see, there's no favouritism with God. There's no gain in pointing at someone and saying that they're worse than me so I'll be okay. Uh, People do that all the time, don't they? Don't we do that all the time? I, I do. Maybe it's me just by myself. But don't we, when someone's in trouble, think, well, maybe they deserve that when we don't. Or or when someone's in trouble, I wonder how many times you've heard the statement, he doesn't deserve this. Uh, he, He works hard. He's a good dad. This shouldn't have happened to him. You see, what we're doing as we're doing that is judging on a sliding scale. The uncomfortable truth is, though, that all people have rebelled against God And the merciful truth is that we don't actually generally get what we deserve straight away from God. Uh, Let me take you to the book of Romans for a second. Just listen. It's there also in Psalms and Ecclesiastes as well. This truth. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. 
Uh, Any one of us might look all right on the sliding scale, but that's not how real justice works, is it? Habakkuk has asked and he's gotten his answer. It's not the answer that he wanted to hear, but it's consistent with a just God. And more than that, it was an answer from God, a God who was working to save as well as to judge. Habakkuk, wait. Habakkuk, trust. The righteous will live by his faith, is what we read last week. God will save his people even as judgment falls. Even as Judah is destroyed and the promised land finally vomited out the Israelites. Even in that, God will keep a remnant for himself in line with his promises. Now in the light of all of this, Habakkuk is a changed man, if you read chapter 3 carefully. His perspective has been changed, his understanding has increased, and so his attitude is different. He comes to God then with a humble request. Can you see, see it with me there at chapter 3, verse 2? A very different Habakkuk. O Lord, I have heard of your renown, and I stand in awe. O Lord of your work. In your own time revive it. In our own time make it known. In wrath may you remember mercy. Now Habakkuk has put himself back under God's authority, hasn't he? No longer is this a command for God to obey. No longer is it a whine of self-justification and complaint. This is now a prayer in its truest sense. A humble request to the king from a subject of the king. The initiative to act remains with the Lord and what follows in the remainder of the chapter is a model for living the Christian life in troubled times. And the troubles coming to Judah and to Habakkuk are difficult to overstate. I doubt that many of us could even relate to what's ahead for them. Conquest, brutal conquest, is coming to Habakkuk and his people. War and captivity, destruction and even death. The desolation of their people, their homeland, and their their system of worship. Now how could a person live, how should a person live, when the bad news comes. Be it loss or suffering, be it sadness or loneliness or even the promise of death itself. Let's get it in our minds now before we feel the sharp edge of life again. Firstly, remember... That's what Habakkuk does. In the face of what's coming, he sits down and goes through what God has done in the past with these people and he does it methodically. The language is poetic. It's probably set to music, in fact, but that's a helpful way to remember things, isn't it? He remembers Israel at Mount Sinai, chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. The brightness was like the sun. Rays came forth from his hand where his power lay hidden. He remembers God at work against the Egyptians for their freedom from slavery, chapter 3, verse 5. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He remembers God parting the waters of the Red Sea and the Jordan to bring his people to safety, chapter 3, verse 8. 
Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord, or your anger against the rivers, or your rage against the sea when you drove your horses, your chariots to victory? And verse 15, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. He remembers God crushing their enemies as they went to the promised land, verses 12 to 14. In fury you trod the earth, in anger you trampled the nations. You came forth to save your people, to save your anointed. You crushed the head of the wicked house, laying it bare from foundation to roof. You pierced with their own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter us, gloating as if ready to devour the poor who were in hiding. He remembers God's great acts, those acts that God has performed in the past for his people. And what are they, these evils God has overcome in days before? They are actually events in real history. And they also pointed forward to a yet greater event. They were examples of sin and death and judgment that prepared God's people for his ultimate answer for sin and death and salvation. As we look at the great events of the Old Testament, we'll see sin and death and judgment and we'll also see grace and mercy and rescue. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfilment of the ages has come. You see, all the while in history, God was preparing his people for salvation. All the while in history, God was pointing forward to Jesus on the cross and the great victories that he would win on behalf of his people, where justice and mercy collide in the most incredible of ways and where salvation by faith alone can be found. It's in Jesus on the cross where the words of Habakkuk find their fullest meaning. You came forth to save your people, to save your anointed. I wonder if we see the value of the gospel truly. If we really grasp its power and its strength for us. In a troubled world, we need hope and a future untouched by the schemes of men and the vagaries of life, don't we? And we need it before those things strike us down. And we have it if we make the gospel our home. In the face of trouble, Habakkuk has the sense to sit down and remember what God has done already. Now that gives him great confidence in what God will do in the future. He has reminded himself of God's reliability even in situations that look out of control. So when struggles come, remember. Remember what God has done. The next thing that he does is in Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 16. He trusts. Have a look with me at chapter 3 and verse 16. Very important verse. I hear and I tremble within. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones and my steps tremble beneath me. I wait quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who attack us. Now notice that he doesn't pay too much attention to how he feels. 
Now, they tell me that bravery isn't always about lacking fear. It's about being afraid and doing the task that's required anyway. That's what true bravery is. So poor old Habakkuk, his heart is pounding. His lips are quivering as if he's about to cry. He felt himself sinking at the thought of what's ahead, but this is what he says. I wait quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who attack us. Now, the fear and emotions are deserved and realistic. Habakkuk is not playing down the seriousness of his situation, but he has just sat down and reminded himself of how God has acted and will act again. He trusts that just as God God has brought justice in the past, just as God is bringing justice now, so he'll do it again in the future. He trusts God. Now, I've never had a really bad diagnosis of ill health. I've had a couple of little scares. And a bad diagnosis, it seems to me, is worthy of strong emotions. The loss of a loved one, the threat of poverty or of violence, there's no doubt that these are terrible experiences. But in the end, even these things can only harm our bodies. They can't touch the eternal future of a person who has their hope and trust in Jesus. The reality is that these things are already passing away, even as we experience them. They don't last, while God's people are forever protected and provided for in the gospel. In the face of fearful things, Habakkuk does the right thing. He trusts God to work it all out in the end. And the final thing that he does? Well, the final thing that Habakkuk does is that he rejoices, even in the midst of difficulty. Have a look with me at verses 17 to 19. Wonderful verses. Though the fig tree does not blossom, and no fruit is on the vines... Though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there's no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and he makes me tread upon the heights. Now the rejoicing here is not some kind of foolish jumping around, laughing and giggling like someone completely unhinged from the world. Neither is this a kind of mindless name it and claim it type of blabber. This is thoughtful, methodical and a well-grounded response to God, who he is and what he does. Habakkuk has looked at the track record of God, he has remembered and he has trusted and now he responds in confidence. He rejoices. He has a sure hope. On the other side of the turmoil is justice and rescue. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. Now, I'm not sure of many things, but I can be pretty sure of this. Grief and suffering will come. 
and it will come most likely in a very personal way to just about everyone sitting here today. So how will we respond when it comes? How will we hold firm as those very real waves of anguish wash over us? Well, I think we need to look at books like Habakkuk. We need to remember God's faithfulness in the past. For us, we particularly need to remember Jesus. And we need to ask ourselves a question like this. Did Jesus die for me on the cross? And if you can answer yes, then you need to ask yourself a next question. If God has already done this for me, why will he not save me eternally? Will I not be all right? I want to finish by reading just a couple of verses from Paul's perspective because I think he truly grasped this idea. So firstly, let me read from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Paul writes this, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him, so gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And he writes also in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Before the face of suffering and in the the teeth of evil, Habakkuk says this, Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there's no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, And he makes me tread upon the heights. Let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks for your word. We pray that you'd forgive us for the times that we neglect it. And for the times that we perhaps struggle in a way that is not reflective of what you've done for us in the Lord Jesus. Change our hearts and minds, we pray, by your word and by your Holy Spirit that we might be your people in all circumstances with our trust in you and glorying in your work on our behalf. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.